Hit the music. It's time for the Igloos Mid-Season Award Show. All right, enough of that. Enough of that intro music. I don't want to get sued for copyright because, you know, that if if you heard it and you recognized it, that is the iconic entrance theme of Fandango from WWE. Which, you know, led to the birth of the Fandangoing trend. Uh, that started the night after WrestleMania 29, after his debut officially in the ring. But I digress. I'm not going to bore you with wrestling talk. We're here to talk Big East college basketball. It's the midseason point of conference play, at least for the men, is the exact midway point. On the women's side, they are just beyond the halfway point. So without further ado, here are your midseason awards. Let's start with the women first. Uh, where shall we begin? The only, I mean, let's start with some individual awards. Um, let's start, you know, work our way up. The sixth woman of the year, I think it's pretty clear. Brianna Scott from Georgetown. She is clearly the best bench player in the conference that truly specializes in being a bench player. So without a shadow of a doubt, it wasn't even any debate. Brianna Scott, your sixth woman of the year. Most improved. I mean, she had to play behind Anissa Morrow last year. Now she has taken the spotlight and has been a jack of all trades for DePaul. It is Anea Peoples. Uh, she had some injury issues last season, but now that she's fully healthy, I mean, she's been balling out and she had a monster game against St. John's about a week ago that really uh, cemented her place, you know, as the most improved in the conference this season. Coach of the year, I want to give it more time because I feel like Georgetown ha is more than capable of getting on a bit of a run to end conference play. Uh, the early contender was Darnell Haney, the interim coach for the Hoyas, who has been on the show it was a close call, but as of right now, and again, these are all subject to change because the still got the month of February and into the first few days of March for those things to change. But right now, coach of the year, Gino Oriama. I know that it's like, oh, give it to somebody else. But listen, Haney had a good case. Joe Tartamella had a surprisingly good case despite you know, a really slow start, but now being at eight and three in Big East play. Uh, but I think that slow start kind of hinders him a little bit. And I got to give it to Gino. Um, but trust me, it was not an easy decision. Now, the only place that you're going to see an all transfer team, let's start. Um, I feel like with these, a lot of these, like they're it's they're smaller teams. A lot of guards I picked. So on the all transfer team, let's start with St. John. Speaking of Bernaya Mayo, she has been outstanding. Um, you know, as the number well number two option behind Unique Drake. You know, Jillian Archer has been a solid big as the number two scoring option, but Bernaya Mayo not far behind, averaging just over 10 points per game. Now across the bridge into New Jersey, that's where you'll find my pick 
for the transfer of the year so far, Micah Gray from Seton Hall. Averaging right around 14 points a game among the top 20 in the conference in scoring. Behind Azana Baines, Micah Gray, the transfer from Texas Southern, has been a more than viable number two option. Whenever Baines has struggled, Gray has been right there to step things up, especially from downtown. Next up from DePaul, the transfer from Michigan, Michelle Sider. Now, um, Kate Clark, former teammate of hers at Michigan, was right in the conversation, but I'm just, just strictly looking at conference play performance. I I thought that Sider has been better than Clark. So she gets the nod in this situation as she's averaging almost 10 points per game. Moving on to now to Butler, it feels like Austin Parkinson has been doing a tremendous job of getting these really solid transfers. And this one he plucked from his former stomping grounds, IUPUI. It is Rachel Kent. Uh, Kent has been the second leading scorer for the Bulldogs behind uh, Caroline Strandy, another uh, transfer who uh, was now in year two with Butler after coming over from Minnesota. You know, she's averaging 10 points a game. And she has been fairly consistent, you know, playing inside and out um, with the Bulldogs. Last but not least, she has come on strong as of late. Was kind of MIA in non-conference play, but averaging nearly 10 points in conference play, including, you know, having some big games where she shot the lights out from downtown. How about the Wake Forest transfer playing now for Providence, Marta Morales Romero. I mean, the surge that she has been on in conference play barely gives her the edge. So now you have Morales Romero uh, rounding out the all-transfer team. The all-freshman team was eh, relatively easy to pick. Well, you know, I, I had these all arranged by height. I don't know why I have it like this. I'm literally reading off my Word doc. Um, starting with Seton Hall, even though she hasn't started a single game this year, she has been right up there as one of the best bench players in the Big East this year. It is Savannah Catalan. Um, she's been relatively consistent off the bench. She had a big game a few weeks ago at Butler. You know, her potential is very high and I can't even imagine, uh, how happy, uh, coach Bazella is with Catalan this season. And how good he's gonna, she's gonna be for her in the years to come. Now we shift gears to a pair of UConn Huskies that made it. Well, and it sucks only one of them could get the freshman of the year nod, but the two UConn freshmen on the list, no surprise, KK Arnold and my freshman of the year up to this point, Ashlyn Shade. Each of them averaging over double figures in conference play and overall this season. But Shade, KK was the preseason freshman of the year. But it's incredible to see Ashlyn Shade eclipse her. And that's not to diminish KK Arnold. It's more so to elevate Ashlyn Shade. She has been outstanding. A revelation and a major beneficiary of Geno's now small ball lineup. 
Now to Villanova, Maddie Weber has been, I mean, she's had a coming out party over the last few weeks, finally cracking the starting lineup. Now, if if it wasn't for her cracking the starting lineup, uh, she would have been my sixth woman of the year, even over Brianna Scott. But I'm going to give the nod to Maddie Weber. Um an easy, unanimous decision. And then rounding out the all-freshman team, this is a bit of a wild-card pick, but Riley McAlusky, she has been coming on strong as of late, started off slow, but now that she's pretty much a regular starter, averaging over 20 minutes a game, uh, she's been making the most of her opportunity, so she gets the nod on the mid-season all-freshman team. Now to what you've all been waiting for, the All-Big East first team. Well, this time, let's start with the actual player of the year, averaging 20 points a game. She has been on a revenge tour this season. It is none other than Paige Beckers. You know, she was player of the year as a freshman three years ago, hampered by injuries the last two years, including missing all of last season, as everybody knows. But Paige has been on a tear. Even games where she hasn't shot it well, for example, the loss to Notre Dame on Saturday. I mean, she still poured in 17 points. And looking around, I mean, and she also had 21 her last time out against Villanova. And I'll I'll get to that a little later on. Speaking of Villanova, this is a unanimous first-team selection. Lucy Olsen. Uh, you know, you would think that Villanova is going to take quite a step back after losing Natty Segrist, um, a generational talent. But Lucy Olsen, right there to pick up the slack. She's leading the conference in scoring, averaging 23 points per game. I mean, she's had some monster performances throughout the year, although she has tapered off a little bit in Biggie's play, but still putting up Really outstanding scoring numbers. And then you got a trio of forwards um, rounding out the first team. Emma Ronzik from Creighton, who, you know, had a bit of a down year last year. She was all Big East in 2022, but she has really come on strong, leading the Blue Jays with 18 points per game. And then someone even that's been even better, Liza Carlin from Marquette. She is averaging right around 19 per game. I mean, she has been a formidable force uh, down low for the Golden Eagles, including, you know, stepping out, knocking some shots down as well from beyond the arc and even mid-range. And then finally, another UConn Husky rounding out the first team. It is none other than Aaliyah Edwards. You know, the reigning Big East Tournament most outstanding player. Now, she has picked up right where she left off a year ago. Uh, being the Robinson Page Becker's Batman. So with that in mind, I want to recap what happened yesterday in women's Big East basketball, starting with UConn beating Villanova down 81-60, although it was just a one-point game at halftime, a 20-point margin in the second half, 44-24, Edwards with 22, Beckers with 21, as I mentioned, five boards and five assists. Nika Mule had... 12 points and 10 assists. 
Five of seven from the floor, two of four from long range. KK Arnold had 13. By the way, shade relatively quiet. Four points on the night in 36 minutes. Uh, another freshman, by the way, Caden Samuels had five off the bench. Ice Brady, two points in 14 minutes as well. UConn was lights out, 60.7% from the floor. They were 29 for 40 inside the arc at 72.5%. Lucy Olson was held to 15, 6 of 17 shooting, and 2 of 4 from long range. Maddie Weber held to 11 points, but 4 of 12 shooting, and 1 of 7 from long range. Zanae Jones had a strong performance with 14 points. Christina Dalsey was seven. Caitlin Oriole, who has been another really solid bench player in the conference this year, uh, she knocked down a trio of threes off the bench. Perfect from the floor, three for three. So UConn, they are perfect halfway through Biggie's play, sitting at 10 and 0. I don't know why I thought I stumbled over myself, but whatever. Anyways, so Seton Hall picked up the season sweep. Over Georgetown with a dominant win, 71-54. Kay Satterfield, who was also in the running for most improved, she finished with a game-high 17 points, 6 of 10 from the floor, even knocked down a 3. Even 50% from the floor for Seton Hall from overall and from 3. Forced 20 turnovers, really defended Georgetown well. 14 for Azana Baines. Micah Gray had a same with Ayanna Lops. And you also add in, you know, seven from Amari Wright, four assists. And the bench, speaking to Catalan, she fouled out but had six points. Uh, combined bench output was, let's see, nine, 17 points. Meanwhile, for Georgetown, league scorer was Maya Bembry, the former Pirate, with 12 points in 27 minutes, a perfect six of six from the floor. By the way, Brianna Scott held to just three points, all from the free throw line in 18 minutes. Kelsey Ransom limited to just three points on one of 10 shooting. Alex Cowan, the lone starter in double figures with 10 points, but an eight assists, but she struggled shooting. And then Grace Ann Bennett had a Jada Claude seven, Victoria Rivera with six, all from behind the arc. So Seton Hall's now 500 in Biggie's play. Once again, at 5-5, five and five, currently tied uh, for 6th, along with Marquette. More on Marquette later on. Uh, Xavier, they are now 0-10 in the Big East as they fall by a score of 67-55 to St. John's. Although, again, it was a game, folks. Well, Xavier was up 7 after 1. It was only a 2-point game going into the 4th, but the Johnnies pull away. Unique Drake, of course, leading the way. 24 points, 10 of 23 shooting, 1 of 8 from 3. She was awfully close to making my first team, but I didn't quite pull the trigger. Uh, Jillian Archer at 17 points and 9 boards, just 1 rebound away from a double-double. One, And then Bernaya Mayo had 12, but chipping in 9 off the bench was Sky Owen. As for Xavier, uh, they got 15 each from Michaela Scarlett and Taylor Purvis. 11 off the bench from Nyla Blackford. But, I mean, St. John's was better from the floor. 42%, including over 50% inside the arc. Meanwhile, Xavier was just 4 of 16 from 3. 21 of 58 overall. 
By the way, uh, for UConn Villanova, I'm just trying to check the turnover numbers here because I feel like that would be important. But alas, yeah, not really. Not wasn't really. Meanwhile, I was I had a gut feeling about DePaul going into Hinkle and beating Butler, but Butler led 21-14 at the end of the first. But thanks to 24 from Anaya Peoples, 11 of 16 shooting, and two of three from long range, DePaul leaves with a 67-57 win. Four of the five starters in double figures, 12 from Jory Allen, 10 each from Maeve Mackerlin, and the aforementioned Michelle Sider. DePaul on the game, 46% from the floor. For 16 Butler turnovers, the only player in double figures, well, Rachel Ken had 10, but the leading scorer, Caroline Strandy, with a dozen. Uh, the bench for Butler really came to play, totaling 20 points, 9 points from Kendall Wingler, 6 from Sidney James, and 5 from Carson Norman. As for the rest of the starters, just seven from Ari Wiggins. Uh, six points from uh, Kristen Carter, and then just two points from McAlusky. So that was a must-win game for DePaul. They had their backs against the wall, and they got the job done. And then finally... Marquette at number 22, Creighton. As expected, it was a heck of a ball game. Marquette actually led 40, 40 to 37 at the break, but Creighton used a 22-15 fourth quarter to pull away and win it, 76 to 71. And that was despite 29 points and 10 boards from Liza Carlin, who was 13 of 21 shooting and two of four from long range. Really efficient night. For the senior, 47% from three, 46.7% overall. But Marquette got in foul trouble. Creighton just nine fouls, Marquette 19. And thanks to um, you know Morgan Molly chipped in 21 points on the night. 19 from Lauren Jensen. By the way, Ronzik had a slow night with just two of 10 shooting, nine points Five for five from the free throw line. Molly Mogensen had 11, made some big plays when she needed to. Five boards, six assists. And Mavery Brake had five points. Each team only played uh, two players off the bench. Um, By the way, Marquette, you know, they got 17 from Mackenzie Hare, who has been a major revelation. She was up for consideration for being most improved in the league this year. You know, she's raised, raised her points per game total by eight. At, you know, averaged seven points a game as a freshman, now averaging 15 as a sophomore. Uh, Jordan King, tough night for her, nine points on four of 13. But they did get six off the bench from Lee Volker. So at the ha- so now at this point UConn ten and zero Creighton in second at eight and two St John's just a half a game behind at eight and three Villanova at six and four is in fourth Providence in fifth surprisingly at five and four Aaron Bath in her first year I she was also considered to be uh, Big East Coach of the Year but I mean on the like lower end 
Tied for sixth, Marquette and Seton Hall, five and five. Georgetown now falls to eighth at four and six after losing back-to-back games on the road in that New York, New Jersey road trip. DePaul, ninth at three and seven. Butler, tenth at one and nine. Xavier dead last at 0 and 10. Well, when we come back, men's midseason awards and a recap from the past couple days, including just god-awful ref shows on Wednesday. Shifting gears to the men's side for your midseason awards. Well, let's start with the individual awards, not for player of the year and freshman of the year. So, most improved. Even though he, it's not, you know, between year to year within the Big East, the major leap that we've seen from Pierre Brooks from Butler undeniably makes him the most improved. I mean, he's, he averaged like, what, three points a game at Michigan State? And now he's averaging 16 and a half. Even though it's a weird decision, it's an easy decision. The sixth man of the year, it was tough. Uh, Jordan Dingle in conference play at least has looked like the sixth man of the year. But he started more than half of the games this season. And someone on Villanova had to get some recognition. So, sixth man of the year goes to Hakeem Hart. I mean, there have been some games where he just went off. You know, when guys like... Trey Burton, TJ Bamba, uh, you know, fellow transfers, whenever they haven't had the stuff. Hart has been right there to pick up the slack. The Maryland transfer getting uh, six man of the year honors. I feel relatively confident in that, although that is always subject to change, especially if he gets more starts. You know, he started the last couple games, but we'll see if Kyle Neptune uh, decides to either keep him there or if he decides to come to his senses and realize that he's better off the bench. You would hope that he comes to his senses on that, but nothing's guaranteed. Coach of the year. This is tough. Dan Hurley was right up there. He really was. Um, But here's the thing. Dan Hurley has the defending national champs. And while his team has been outstanding, before the season and even even before the start of Big East play, no one expected Seton Hall to be as good as they have been. Although they had a three-game losing streak after starting 6-1, and one, back in the win column, and the strength of schedule is actually going to be a little lighter considering they only have nine games left in the season. They have the bye week this weekend and another bye coming up a few weeks after that. My coach of the year pick, Shaheen Holloway. You know, after a rough start at 7-4, and four, including losses to Rutgers at home, which unfortunately hasn't aged well because Rutgers has fallen off a cliff, including just looking ugly against Penn State the other night. And, you know, including losses to USC, which also has aged well. In fact, has aged about as terribly as humanly possible. I mean, USC, you know, talk about falling off a cliff. 
ugh, ugly what's going on um, in L.A. Losing to Iowa, another loss to Iowa was not great either. And they also lost at Baylor. And there's no shame in losing to Baylor, especially down at Waco. Anywho, I mean, they've already started, you know, they... They beat UConn at home to start conference play when really no one was giving them a chance, including myself. They beat Marquette at home. And they took Creighton to triple overtime in a game that arguably they could have and should have won. And the fact that, you know, he that he got his team to take those t- top three teams on head on. And beat two of them and maybe should have beaten the third. Yeah. App, you know, you got to commend Shaw. I, although, Dan Hurley, another Scene Hall alum, obviously coaching at UConn. Very close second. I mean, if Shaw must be one, Hurley must be 1A. The all-transfer team. Well... It starts with Jaden Epps from Georgetown, who is leading the conference in scoring, averaging 19 points per game. But, I mean, Georgetown's been way too dependent on him. So, therefore, he doesn't get transfer of the year honors at this point. The guy who does, though, and try, I mean, it was a tough race between Epps and this guy and the guy I'm going to mention after this, but my transfer of the year right now, the the king of the Queen City right now, it is Quincy Olivari from Xavier. Averaging 18 points per game, he's the best three-point shooter in the conference this year, shooting 44% from long range. He has been the driving force behind Xavier's resurgence after a really tough start to the season. You know, he led them to a win over Cincinnati that really got momentum back on their side. And now they're 5-5 five and five in conference play at the halfway point. Got to commend him. Then... I got Pierre Brooks from Butler. I mean, the most improved player in the conference absolutely gets the nod for the all-transfer team. I feel like that was a lock, too. Another lock, Josh Oduro from Providence. While Devin Carter has been phenomenal, Oduro's been right there as his right-hand man. And Kim English brought him from George Mason up to Providence along with him. And that has paid dividends. And then last but not least, this is an under-the-radar pick. And, you know, if you want to come at me for being biased, sure. I'm good. I'm Listen, Camp Spencer was right up there as a potential addition to this team. But because of, because of the fact that he's shot out of a cannon, no one expected him to be the interior presence that he was expected to be when he arrived at Seton Hall, Jaden Bediaco. While, you know, the the guards for Seton Hall have been outstanding, mainly Kadari Richmond and Alamir Dawes, Betty Ako has been under the radar as a very good big man who is actually leading the conference in offensive rebounding. Which is really good, if you ask me. 
So that's my all-transfer team. All-freshman team. I feel like this was four of them. No, three of them were locks. The three locks, I'm going to go over them. Starting with Trey Green from Xavier. I mean, this was the guy in the recruiting class. And he might be only six feet tall, but he has been a really solid point guard for the Musketeers. And he's going to be for years to come if Sean Miller, you know, plays his cards right and keeps him around, which considering how outstanding of a coach he is, I don't think that should be that difficult. Another lock, Isaiah Coleman from Seton Hall, who also got consideration for being the sixth man of the year in the conference as well. I mean, no one expected Coleman to be as good as he has been. You know, a guy that's been under the radar. I mean, he was the freshman class that Shaw brought in really wasn't very heralded at all. And Isaiah Coleman was like a late addition where like Isaiah Coleman, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, he can be on the team like that. That's, that's, that's fun. That's cool. Good for him. But there have been games where he has just been outstanding. And, you know, in in his last three games, starting in, in you know, replacing Kadari Richmond, you know, he's put up really good numbers. So that only validated him as the all-freshman team, uh, as an all-freshman team selection. And then you add the unanimous, I mean, this was an easy call for freshman of the year at this point. Stefan Castle from UConn. I know he missed some time due to injury, but... You know, he's the only freshman in the conference, I believe, that's averaging double figures, so that's why he's a lock. I mean, this there's a reason why he was one of the top 10 high school recruits in the country coming into this season, and he's proven that and then some. This might be a controversial pick, but I'm kind of just looking at this from a, just a Big East play perspective. But I've got Brady Dunlap from St. John's. Is this a bit of a controversial pick? Call it what you will. But yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, there have been games... I mean, he's been inconsistent, sure. But in conference play, he... He has stepped his game up. Now, I know there were some other guys that I was considering, like Dalen Swain. That was one guy who got some consideration for this all-freshman team. But I ultimately, I'm, I'm go, I picked Dunlap. And then last but not least, uh, Drew Fielder from Georgetown. Um, this was a guy who Ed Cooley was really high on and for good reason. I mean, this league is so old in terms of the talent. Like, it's so old that a guy like Drew Fielder with his numbers, like, like really, he's all freshman? But, I mean... What are the options do you have? I mean, Swain, sure. Um, solo ball, also considered. But just, just wasn't really much to choose from. I mean, Garvey Duwall, I kind of considered also, but not really. So that's my all-freshman team, rounded out by Drew Fielder. Now, the All-Big East first team. This was tough. This was tough, but here's who I ended up going with. 
First off, my player of the year so far, I mean, he has been ridiculously good in Big East play. Devin Carter from Providence. I mean, I get it. There have been really good players around the rest of the conference who I'll get to. And obviously, you know, Tyler Kolek's the reigning Big East player of the year. But Devin Carter has been a revelation. I mean, we knew he was good. But no one expected him to be averaging, what, like 21 points a game in Big East play at this point? I mean, for Kim English to keep him around was a coup. And because of that, Kim English looks like a genius for managing to keep him in Providence. Because he has been an absolute force. Next up, Tristan Newton from UConn. I mean, someone from UConn had to be on this first team. I ended up going with Newton because he's the kind of do-it-all guy. So, I mean, not really much to expand on, to be honest. Next up, a guy who, until he went down with injury, you know, missed a couple games when Seton Hall went 0-2. But clearly, in terms of... He may not be the best player in the conference, but it's clear that he's the most valuable. It's Kadari Richmond from Seton Hall. I mean, you saw what Seton Hall looked like in the two games they lost without him last week. He may not be the best player in the conference. He's right up there. He can still make a late push to win player of the year, especially if Seton Hall gets on a roll. But I don't think there's any shadow of a doubt that Kadari Richmond is the most valuable player in the conference because of the impact he has on his team. Next up, a guy who has been a jack-of-all-trades. Baylor Shireman. You know, his, you know he's one of the best three-point shooters in the conference, bar none. One of the best volume scorers in the conference, bar none. And he actually has the most defensive rebounds of anyone in the Big East. It's crazy to to see that, actually. And then last but not least, this is a bit of a controversial pick. I'm going with Oso Iguodaro. Because Tyler Kolek, he's been great. Don't get me wrong. But Iguodaro's been leading the team in scoring in Big East play so far. And he does everything. And to, for him to do it at 6'11 is befuddling. You know, he runs the floor like a guard. He blocks shots like the big that he is. And he also dishes it like a guard as well. Honestly, who's the best facilitator on offense? Outside of Kolek, it's not Cam Jones and it's not Stevie Mitchell. It's Oso Iguodaro. So, let's talk about the games this past week. Starting with Marquette at Villanova. By the way, I'm not the biggest fan of the hate that um, Kyle Neptune got, you know, getting booed um, during the pregame intro. And... You know, getting boot, especially when Marquette started off the way that they did. You know, with the fire Neptune chance. I mean, I get it. I really do. But in the end, 
I just, mm. and it's, and I also get for the fact that Marquette didn't have Cam Jones. The fact that Villanova is favored by two and a half according to ESPN bet is absurd. But just when you thought Villanova, like, oh, they're washed, they just come back out of nowhere. And they trail by as many as 20. But they roared all the way back and took the lead about halfway through the second half, or approaching it at least, led by as many as four, but Marquette did enough to win the game, 85-80, and Tyler Kolek had a monster performance. Honestly, I mean, this performance alone almost got him on the first team for me, but Iguodaro's just been more consistent. I mean, Kolek had... 32 points, 6 boards, 9 assists, 10 of 20 shooting, 5 of 8 from deep. Iguodaro added 15 points and 8 rebounds. David Joplin and Stevie Mitchell each with a dozen. Ben Gold got the start because Cam Jones was out. He only played 17 minutes played and got 3 points only. But playing 31 minutes off the bench. In his return from injury after messing up his shoulder, Chase Ross had 11 points, 3 of 5 from the floor, 2 of 3 from deep. 50% overall for Marquette, 10 of 22 from long range. Meanwhile, Villanova, 39% from the floor, 11 of 32 from three. Sure, like They made more threes, sure, but their percentage was much worse. 17 of 17 from the free throw line, by the way. And the foul discrepancy, 22-14. I mean, more on this ref show later on. But Eric Dixon and TJ Bamba each with 24 points. By the way, it's crazy. You know, Hakeem Hart, listen, it should... Again, it goes without question. He's so much better off the bench. Scoreless in 11 minutes as the starter. Mark Armstrong, who has been the starter for basically this entire season up until the past week. 5 of 18 from the floor. I mean, shot selection wasn't great. 2 of 8 from 3, but still finished with 16 points, 8 boards, and 3 dimes. Add an 8 from Tyler Burton, who fouled out. 6 from Justin Moore. I mean, Moore has been, like, a non-factor this year, which is just, you know, he's coming back fully healthy, and the fact that, you know, it's it's weird. And a little disheartening to see him play at this level when we all know he's capable of being so much better. So Villanova, with that loss, they're now 4-6 and six in the Big East. They're in ninth place. And so moving on, Seton Hall got Kadari Richmond back. You know, I was kind of encouraged that, you know, Kadari made the trip with the team to Chicago. And that kind of told me like, okay, he's going to play. How much was he going to play? Well, I was expecting in the 20 minute range, like 15 to 20. And that's what he got 18 minutes, six points in his return, seven rebounds, two assists. He didn't need to do too much. Because DePaul sucked in this game. They sucked. Like, I'm just watching this. I'm like, DePaul can't be that bad. But they were. Got out rebounded 46 to 30. 3 of 20 from deep. 22% as a team. And Seton Hall beat them 72-39. to It was 31-18 at halftime, 41-21 in the second half. By the way, Seton Hall is a team 4-17 from deep, which is not very good. 
But inside the arc, they had their way with a very undersized Blue Demon squad. 26 of 42 in the from two. And points in the paint was 44 to 12. Points off turnovers, 23 to 3. Fast break points, 21 to 4. DePaul never led. Seen all led by as many as 36. And again, a 46-30 edge on the glass. And Seton Hall rebounded 36 of their 50 misses, of their 39 misses. Like, that's incredible. Dre Davis had 16 points and 12 boards. Isaiah Coleman, 15 points on the night in 30 minutes. 12.7 boards from Jaden Bediaco, 8 each from Dylan Adewusu and Alamir Dawes. Uh, Jaquan Sanders had 5 off the bench in 10 minutes. And then you add... Uh, five points, uh, two points rather, from Elijah Hutchins Everett. Meanwhile, for DePaul, only one player double figures, and that was Deshaun Nelson, who had 11 off the bench. The starters combined for just 21 points. Seven from Elijah Fisher, eight from Jalen Terry. And the fact that he... He had to take seven threes. It just goes to show, like, they need Chico Carter back. They need him back because you need a solid three-point shooter at the guard. I mean, Jeremiah Odin's a viable three-point shooter as, like, a stretch four, but, like, he's been really quiet as of late. Meanwhile, Churchill Abbas, three points. Jaden Henley, three points off from the free throw line. They got four off the bench in 22 minutes from... Keandre Young, and they got three all from the free throw line from Mac ETN. So Seton Hall needed that win. They got it done. In emphatic fashion as they enter the bye week. Wednesday night, uh, where do I begin? The fucking ref shows that we saw. This crew, led by Brian O'Connell... Who, by the way, apparently tried to kick a fan out. And the security guard was like, dude, really? Nah. This game had 46 fouls. 46! And Xavier, I mean, that was a gut gut feeling. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling Xavier. And boy, thank God I was right. Led by 23 points each from Quincy Olivari and Desmond Claude. Muskies win the game 88-77. They also got 19 from Davion McKnight. I mean, the three of them, again, 65 combined points. And they got some good production off the bench. Trey Green with six, all from behind the arc, and then all from two points. Shasha Shiani with six of his own. Seven rebounds and four assists. Dalen Swain had two points in 17 minutes, you know, which included a breakaway dunk that forced a St. John's timeout. Abu Usman. It says he got six fouls. What? He must have gotten like six plus a five plus a tech. I have no idea. Just yuck. And then they got four from Gidis Namishka. Namisha, I should say. Meanwhile, for St. John's, Dennis Jenkins with 25 points. He was considered for the all-transfer team, but I ended up leaving him off. I have my reasons. 
Joel Soriano, I I might have snubbed him from the uh, first team. 21 points, 15 rebounds, 8 of 14 from the floor. Uh, Chris Ledlam at 7. I mean, they only had three starters that scored. Simeon Wilcher started and played three minutes. I don't get it. Jordan Dingle played 28 minutes off the bench and had 12 points. RJ Lewis had 5 points in 14 minutes. I feel like the bench did more than the starters. I mean, at least, I don't know. The starters combined for 53 points. Bench had 24. And they played a, a lot of guys off the bench. 7 to be exact. Naheem Alita had 2 points in 11 minutes. Uh, Delnap had 2 points. And Zuby Ejiofor had 3 and you can, you're not going to win a lot of games when you're 2 of 14 from 3 and you get out rebounded 44-34. By the way, you want to know how many free throws are taken in this game? 62. 30 for St. John's, 32 for Xavier. I mean, inside the arc, you know, St. John's was over 50%, 25-49. Xavier, 7 of 19 from 3. Inside the arc, they were 20 for 42 under 50%. So that makes it a tie. St. John Xavier now tied at five and five. They split the season series. And then if you thought that ref show was bad, that had nothing on Providence and UConn. This game started right around 845 and didn't end until 1115. It was just eye-gouging basketball and an eye-gouging ref show. Someone had the stat that, what was it? In the second half, there was a whistle every minute and 45 seconds. That's egregious. You know, and this ref crew, Ron Groover, John Gaffney, Clarence Armstrong, I mean, just Jesus Christ. All three of them, take a, take a week off at least. Get your head on straight and learn what a fucking foul is and learn how to fucking call the game. Jesus Christ. I mean, you kind of end up winning the game 74-65, but it was just like, end this game. Put, put us out of our misery, please. And, you know, Matt St. Jean had a point like, I don't know what a foul is anymore. The referees don't, didn't know what a foul was either because they just bullshitted their way through the game. Three Friars fouled out. One Husky fouled out. That was Stefan Castle. 74-65 is the final. UConn won the game, by the way. Um, Castle at a game, uh, well, tied for the game high, 20 points, 7 of 14 shooting, 2 of 4 from long range in 31 minutes. By the way, because of this foul issue bullshit, Donovan Klingon and Josh Oduro each limited, you know, their minutes were drastically down from what they usually play because of this stupid foul trouble. Oduro fouled out. Jaden Pierre fouled out. The backup big, um, Rafael Castro fouled out. It was just like, God damn it. I just, someone from the league office has to answer to this shit. Everyone, every single fan from Providence, from UConn, from every fan base who watched this game, and everyone who loves the Big East, knows that this was a, an abomination, to quote, what is life, yo? And 
listen, I know Tim Brando's been on the show. I just don't agree with and I don't approve of the praise praise of the refs. That's clearly, I mean, it was just so stupid. I mean, like, this is a well-officiated game. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Meanwhile, for Providence, Devin Carter at 20 points, as did Oduro in just 23 minutes, by the way, for Oduro. So those two combined for 40 of their 65. Corey Floyd Jr., former Husky, with seven points, three of five from the floor, knocked down his only three-point attempt of the game. Jade Pierre, five points, five fouls. And Ticket Gaines had four four fouls of his own in 39 minutes, six points on the night. Castro fouled out five fouls in just seven minutes and four points. And then they got a three from Rich Barron. Team stats on the night, 41% from the floor for Providence, 40% for UConn. Each team only made four three-pointers. Four for 18 for Providence, four of 23 for UConn. But the free throw discrepancy, Jesus Christ. 36-26. I mean, 30, I mean, that's not terrible. It's not like the Northwestern-Purdue game from earlier in the night. Like, I can see the reasons, especially watching some of the calls that were made that favored specifically Zach Eady, where he clearly hooked a guy on Northwestern and the fouls called on Northwestern, which didn't make any sense. Because the, I, I think the refs, you know, I think they favor Purdue. Because of the Zach Eady effect. I mean, Purdue had 46 free throws last night. And Northwestern only had what? How many How many free throw shots did? Northwestern had 8 free throws. And Purdue had fucking 46. And this game went to double overtime when probably it shouldn't have because of this because of that bullshit. But whatever. Whatever. But Providence, because of the fact that they left a lot of points at the line, 13 of 26, they left, you know, they only made 50% of their free throws and they left 13 points at the line. UConn's 26 of 36, which is much better. They still left 10 points on the, they st- I mean, they still left 10 points at the line, but you're not going to win a lot of games and you're only shooting 50% from the free throw line. This game just had no flow. You want flow. You, you want to flow to the game. And that clearly didn't happen. The fact that they're between two games, 92 fouls. As... Uh, Dan Hurley said to Kim English across the sideline at some point during the game, the fucking Big East, man. The fucking Big East and it's their fucking ref shows. Val, I'm pleading with you. Please address this and please make it stop. Hold these refs accountable and make them do better. Please. Sincerely, all Big East fans, including myself. I'm, I know that I'm maybe I'm not really the type to, you know, I shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't be the one speaking on behalf of all Biggies fans, but all Biggies fans will agree with me. 
please do something about the officiating. This is a crisis at this point. Please fix it. Weekend picks coming up after this. Go. Hey, this is Joshua Duro. You're listening to the Igloo Podcast with Timmy Ice. My name is Desmond Claw. And I'm Quincy Oliveri. And you're listening to the Igloo with Timmy Ice. So let's rattle these picks off, shall we? Let's start tomorrow night, 9 o'clock on FS1. Creighton hosting Butler. I don't think there's any shadow of a doubt I'm taking Creighton winning this ball game. Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Now, there were a couple games. Well, okay, there was okay. There's two games Saturday and Sunday that I was on the fence about. Believe it or not, UConn St. John's was one of them. That's at noon on Fox. Now that Donovan Klingon's back. The interior matchup is going to be a lot more difficult for St. John's uh, because, you know, Joel Soriano was able to have a much better game, you know, dealing with Samson Johnson and um, Singare instead of Klingon because that was UConn's first full game without Klingon after he suffered the injury against Seton Hall at the start of Big East play. Now... What do I think will happen in this game? I mean, I'm honestly like, it's really tempting to pick St. John's in this game, but UConn is so hot that Yeah, UConn is so hot that it's hard to it's hard to pick against them. It just is. But I'm I'm going with an upset. Give me St. John's taking down number one UConn. I said what I said. Deal with it. Anyways, uh, 2 o'clock on FS1, number 9 Marquette at Georgetown. I mean, no doubt in my mind Marquette wins the game. 9.30 on FS1, which is an 8.30 central tip time on a Saturday night. Ugh, yuck. Xavier at DePaul, Xavier's going to win the game. But I think Xavier will make it more of a game than anticipated. Um. If I want to go with exact picks, by the way, in terms of like what do I think, the, what do you think the final score is going to be? Well, uh, starting with Butler Creighton, I think Creighton's going to win big. I think they win like seventy five fifty four. Like I know that both of these teams know how to get up and down the court, but like. I don't know. Just feeling that on a Friday night, I don't know. I just feel like it might be lower on the lower scoring end. Chances are I might be wrong, but whatever. I don't really care. 
Meanwhile, do I expect UConn St. John's to be a high scoring to a low scoring game? I wouldn't be surprised, but again, St. John's, I think they'll get the upset. I think it's going to be a one-point game, like 85-84. Or do I think like, hold on. Let's just say, I'm going to say, make it 85-64 Creighton and then 75-74 St. John's. Um, Marquette Georgetown, uh, final score pick. Uh, let's see, 44-37, and I'm sorry for the long pause here, I'd rather not be saying um, because I feel like that's something that's very common, um, and I just did it, when people are, they don't know what to say, or they lose, they lose their train of thought, etc., etc., 92-74 Marquette. As for Xavier DePaul, I think DePaul, they're going to put up a fight. They seem more energized with Matt Brady, although they played terribly on uh, Tuesday. I think Xavier wins 77-70. That's what I'm going with. And then as for Sunday, Providence at Villanova. I think Villanova's in trouble. And it's not going to get much better from here. Give me Providence winning by nine. Final score. 77-68. Okay, now on the women's side. uh, These games happening Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, Seton Hall at Villanova. I'm going to take Villanova finishing the season sweep. Um, Marquette at Providence. Don't be shocked if Providence puts up a fight and really challenges Marquette. I don't know if they're going to pull an upset. But I'm going to take Marquette. And I think it's going to end up being close. Sunday. Got a pair of games. Uh, where do I begin? Uh, let's start Creighton at Butler. Yeah, Creighton's winning this game. Uh, DePaul Georgetown. I know DePaul got right with a win against Butler, but Georgetown, I think they needed a tough stretch like they did against St. John's and Seton Hall. You know, they lost a close one to the, to the Red Storm and then Seton Hall dominated them, you know, for what it's worth. You know, at halftime, you know, they were down. They were getting, they got doubled up in the first half, 38-19. I think Georgetown bounces back with a big win at McDonough Arena. And then St. John's at UConn at Gamble. I mean, this goes without saying. UConn's going to win this game, and they're going to win it big. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Igloo. Um, I might have a new episode out on my birthday, which is Monday. If not, it'll probably come Tuesday because I might be preoccupied with my birthday on Monday. I also ref that day as well. 
but that's earlier in the day. So like at 4.30, so I might have time to do it, but no guarantees. I'll, I might keep you in the loop on Twitter. Uh, follow me there if you haven't already at the real Timmy. I same on Instagram. That's going to do it for this edition of the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the mid-season award show. And I really want to know, you know, when I tweet this out, uh, feel feel free to reply to the link to that episode by letting me know who your all biggies teams would be, men's and women's, who your extracurriculars are, you know, transfer of the year, or hell, even all transfer team, who's your freshman of the year, all freshman team, who's your coach of the year, six man and six woman of the year, um, most improved, any other superlatives that you got, hit hit them, hit me with them. And by the way, midseason award, and it will be the he will be the Biggie's Twitter person of the year. Blue Demon Degenies, my midseason Biggie's Twitter persona of the year. And at the midseason, he will be at season's end. Nothing stopping the BDD hype train. And nothing has stopped it the last three years. So, someone tell me why it's going to stop now. Because it sure as hell ain't. And if anything, the train has only picked up speed. And by the way, I feel like there needs to be... I don't know if there's a mid-season tweet of the year award yet. I've had some nominees. But... It's way too close to call. I'll wait till the end of the year for Tweet of the Year. Let's put it that way. So that's going to officially do it for this episode of The Igloo. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time.